Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. Good morning. All right, that's where we go. Happy Mother's Day. Don't say that back to me. I'm not identifying as a mother today. So, all right. So, the uh, wanted to uh, begin this morning with just a quick, uh, quick thought. I was thinking as Brent was finishing off on VBS, I'm thinking, um, man, 300 kids. Yeah, we need a lot of great volunteers, and a lot of you volunteer every year, and we appreciate that. I was also thinking, how do we connect? Like, I've got neighbors with kids and stuff. I'm like, how in the world would I get them to VBS? Nobody knows what VBS means. So I decided, if you have a, somebody, a family member, or a group of people in your life you'd like to invite their kids to the VBS, just tell them it's the great date week, okay? Because you just ship your kids and go have dates for five nights out of the week. So it's a great opportunity. Just use that uh, as a thought. But we're here. It's Mother's Day. And again, I want to thank all you moms uh, just for what you've sacrificed for your families and what you are, and especially you new moms. You guys are at the beginning of that sacrificial stage, and it is rough. Amen? So um, we love you, ladies. Thank you for what you're doing. Dads, we know you're feeling it too, but not as much as the moms. So we, uh, as we dive in, I was thinking about way back when my daughter was little. We had, um, we had actually moved into a condominium in, a, in kind of a, in a centerpiece, in center part of town. And my wife, um, I believe we just found out, and I could be wrong, but I think we just found out she was pregnant with our second at the time. And uh, while we were living there, the, um, w- w- there was this really crazy incident that occurred that, that came out as, a, we were st- as I was studying the book of John. It just kind of flashback reminded me, and we'd been talking about this a few days ago. And, and as I was thinking about it, I was just like, wow, that, that was a crazy set of events. She had just gotten back from her mom's uh, with laundry, sitting outside of a red car, and it's kind of a little hatchback, two-door thing. And my daughter was sitting behind her, and she was, for some reason, she stopped and she was listening to the radio and she had the laundry and suddenly one of our neighbors comes bolting by and uh, goes up, he can't unlock his door and two boy, other guys jump on him and he runs out and runs around the corner and just all this stuff ensues where suddenly we realize, um, just we, we find out that he, the kid had been murdered in that, that day. And my wife is now the, one of the key witnesses to this situation. And as a mom, the reason she stayed in the car, thank God, was because she was watching my daughter and, and didn't want any, any harm to come to her. And that's that mom instinct. But she was like just watching this thing. And suddenly, now ensues this incredibly difficult scenario for our family. My wife is now a key, um, a key witness to this murder situation. And now we're get, we, get, we, we took off that night. We actually went to her mom's house and stayed there where um, they came and knocked on the door literally that night. They, the detectives showed up and like, hey, I'm like, how'd you find us? Like, we wouldn't be very good detectives if we couldn't. And so they, <laughs> I'm like, that's a good point. So we, they, wound up, they wound up interviewing her and thus began a huge journey. I'm, dri- I'm driving around trying to find these guys. I'm behind stuff, but it culminated where she sat on the witness stand. And um, man, I, you would have thought she was the one who'd done the crime, the way the lawyers were asking her questions and trying to just rip into her. It was just one of those things, just like, she's not a professional witness, but she, you know, they gave her a couple pointers and that was about it. Otherwise, she just sat there and got grilled on and grilled on. I'm going, man, you lawyers, you, this wasn't, a tr- if there, there weren't a lot of cops in here, this would be a problem. You know, no, this, I was just so angry with what was going on. I, I use that now to get out of jury duty. Uh, but the reality, I don't do that, I'm kidding. The... Uh, Confessions of a pastor. Uh, so the, 
the reality was that I'm sitting there just watching this. I'm getting angry. She's getting grilled and grilled and grilled and grilled. And what I'm not realizing until this week, really, to be quite honest, is that was the job of the lawyers to ask questions of the witness and to get the answers they needed from the witness because they were supposed to ask questions. And as I'm saying that and thinking that, they're asking questions of this witness to get information out of the witness. I suddenly realized how much we had flipped the word witness in the church. See, if you grew up in the 90s and maybe the early 2000s, we talk about get out there and go witness about your faith. And that meant get up, grab your Bible, or get a couple tracks, go down. And for me, it was go down to um, the, uh, the Ontario Mills area and go talk to people about Jesus who were standing in line for the movies. That was, that was witnessing. And what I realized here is suddenly I would go out in order to ask everybody else questions, right? You go out to ask them, do you know where you would go if you died tonight? Do you, do you, believe, that, um, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the living God? If not, why? And what I was doing was actually I was playing the lawyer and I was turning all of them into the witnesses. You think about it, we flipped it. Instead, Jesus has called us, as we found out in the beginning of the book of John, to be witnesses to the light. That we're supposed to testify and tell what we know. But, we, but this is all in this context of what a witness is. Somebody who takes a stand, answers the question of a king, a judge, or a, or a lawyer in our, in our case. And, I, and it just started rolling through my head as I was reading about this one guy named John the Baptist. The ultimate, in a sense, witness that we meet in the book of John. And when we talked about this idea of how do you witness about the light and all these things, there was sort of like, well, give me some practical steps here, Greg. I don't know really what to do with that. I'm all pumped up. Yeah, I'm ready to go talk to people. And maybe some of you as Christians this morning, you, you, are, you have brought somebody here today who is not a Christian, and, and you're going to get to hear kind of why we care about telling other people about Jesus Christ. You're going to get a chance to hear how I really want uh, Christians to do that, and not to be obnoxious about it. But as Christians, you might have an actual opportunity today as you sit down at one of these Mother's Day meals for grandma and uncle, uncle George is there or something like that, and you're able to talk to him, or, or maybe you're sitting there and it's, um, you're, you've got a sister or a brother you haven't seen in a while, and they've, they, have, they don't know about Christ. What do you do? How do you have these conversations? How do you be a witness? And that's really what I want to kind of point to and point out from this chapter in the book of John. So we're going to kind of unpack that, some practical things about this idea of pointing to Jesus. We'll pick up even more next week. This is only part one. But we're going to look here in John chapter 1, verse 19 through 34, at where we're going to find us. So if you've got a Bible, grab them, open it up, and we're going to go here to 1, 19 through 34, page 886, and the Bible is under the seats. If you do not have a Bible, I recommend you grabbing one. Otherwise, I become just as blah, blah, blah. It's going to be Charlie Brown for, for like 30 minutes, and it's going to get annoying. So grab a Bible, open it up. If you have a Bible, and you're kind of new to your Bible, you don't know where John is, um, go to the New Testament. It's the fourth book in. Uh, if you're like Matthew or Mark, go right. If you're in weird names like Corinthians or whatever, go left and you'll land on John. And so we want to we pick up where we've been leaving off. We've gone through the first 18 verses very slowly. Now we're going to pick up some speed here for a little bit. But this, this is kind of an interesting situation. You're not given who John the Baptist is. You're just kind of told about John and then dropped into the scene. So what I want to do is take a minute, go back to the other Gospels. They've painted this guy, John the Baptist, pretty clearly. He is a man who's wearing a camel, kind of like a camel hair suit, kind of a scratchy, itchy thing. He's got a belt on and he's probably got this big, crazy, fuzzy beard. And he likes to eat grasshoppers or locusts and honey. That's his favorite meal of the day. And so he's an aesthetic. He's a, a, 
an ascetic. Sorry, not aesthetic. That would be artsy. He's the opposite of artsy. He, that would be a hipster. He's not a hipster. He's actually somebody else. So um, he, he, he's an ascetic. So different, different guy. So he's out there and they're seeing him as a holy guy. All these people have gathered around, built such a crowd that now Jerusalem's paying attention. Jerusalem's the center of culture and society of the Jewish people. And they've sent out a team to find out who this guy is. And so we pick it up there. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are the, neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So he gives us a location of Bethany. This is not the place later in the book. A guy, Lazarus, will be resurrected in a place called Bethany. Different place. We're out by, a, by the river, one of the largest, the largest river in Israel, and that is the Jordan. It's a, and it's a low place. It's got a lot of water, not a lot of, not a lot of trees and stuff. But there in Bethany, John the Baptist found himself. He's gathered this group of people. He's preaching, and now he's baptizing, and they're asking him these questions. And what's interesting about John is that he identifies himself as the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight or get ready for the Lord or the King. Get ready, make everything prepared, get yourself prepared, get it all prepared. The Lord is coming. So this is his calling, what he's doing. And as he's gathered there, these people have come to ask him questions. And John, the author John, I'm talking about the apostle, is taking out John the Baptist to indicate that he is like the ultimate witness. If you want to learn from a guy who knows how to witness about the light, take a look at John the Baptist. Because this word witness and testimony is always connected with John in the book of John. John the Baptist in the book of the gospel of John. Okay, too many Johns. But what we have here is this reality. So, we're going to take some hints from him today. How do we do this? How do we be better witnesses as Christians? Because we may not be doing a good job, or we may be confused about how to talk about Jesus. And so let's start here. Hint number one, we witness best when asked questions. I point this out again because of the scenario of this idea of a witness takes a stand. They're asked the questions. We don't go pummeling them with questions. In fact, oftentimes when a witness is a witness turns around, tries to ask the lawyer a question, it's, it's shot down. They're not allowed to do that. You answer the question, the lawyer asks the question, or the judge asks the question. We witness best when we are asked questions. And notice John's in that scenario. Verse 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So they're asking him questions about who he was. And notice that this questioning is coming from his good life. Now, you don't see his good life. It's implied because it's implied that he's writing to Christians who would know who John the Baptist is, or at least people who knew who John the Baptist was in his time period. And again, John the Baptist may have a camel hair's coat on and, and be scraggly, but he was considered a holy man. 
He was considered the image of somebody who they'd been waiting for, namely a guy named Elijah. And so they were attracted to him. And they gathered around him because they were curious. This guy had the guts to stand up to corruption like a guy named Herod who, had, who was claiming to be Jewish and was Jewish, but had married his, like, he had forced his brother to divorce, then married his wife. He had, and so there's corruption. John the Baptist was gutsy enough to stand up in front of everybody and say, you can't do that. That's not right. John the Baptist was gutsy enough to stand around and tell Roman soldiers, look, you guys, need to, you guys need to care about the people that you're over and stop, stop harming them. Listen, Pharisees. You need, and he would, he would point out everybody's sins and just deal with people. And people thought this guy was awesome. They leaned in. This guy had the moral authority. He was a, he was a good person. And suddenly, had, I'm sure it had gathered other people before to ask him questions. Well, what do you think about this? Because he had developed an entire group of disciples who had been following him. And his whole goal was just to point somewhere else. The question is for me, if these questions are prompted by a good life, what does that say when we're not asked questions? When's the last time somebody asked you a question about your faith because of how you were living it out? Because of how you were allowing it to go through your life from gratitude towards Jesus Christ? I I actually... um, Remember uh, kind of a few years ago, and I don't quite know where it is now, but my, my mother-in-law was very courageous in that she started a prayer group at her school. She's a school teacher in the district here. And she just said, hey, I would like to do this. She gathered some friends together. They were praying together. It kind of began to grow. They, were, they, they okayed it. And I can remember that through this process, while she was caring for people and praying for people, some of her friends who are not Christians would ask her questions like, why do you do this or why do you do that? And we'd ask her about her life. And consistently, she would always say, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And they would go, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And my brother-in-law also has, he works in the fire, um, Orange County Fire Departments, and he, he um, he, he had to go through a very arduous process. I mean, if you're a fireman or a police officer, you guys go through crazy arduous processes to get your jobs. And he, and he, as he, he tells the story, it's like he kept just messing up. He shouldn't have the job he has. He would, he would mess up on the app or, then, or application, and then he'd find himself not getting the scores he needed in the, jo- in the, in the midst of the testing and all these things. But they just, he, they just kept bringing him on. And to this day, he's like, this is God that I got through this. And as guys will ask him how he got in, he will give the glory to God. He will talk about how God was the one who brought him through the process, who enabled him to get past these hoops to find himself where he is. Because of the, and they would ask him because of the kind of things that he's doing, the hard work that he's laying in. And the reality is, that's how we should be and we should live in all of our cases. That we should be living as upstanding Christians in our job places. We should be living as the servants when we get to Mother's Day, that we're the ones cleaning the dishes. Men, you hear me? All right, so the, and uh, we should be the guys getting engaged. Now, I'm talking to myself too, but the reality is that we should be the servants. We should be the ones showing off the sacrifice of Christ because he sacrificed so much for us so that people are curious about what's going on in your life. I almost want to give you guys like the youth group like, everybody choose one good thing you're going to do when you get home today. Write that down and make sure you do it, kind of, kind of request. Why don't we do that right now? Why don't you just go ahead and write down that one good thing that you think, God, this is what I need to do to help begin to show off the gospel. It's a good practice. Because when that happens and people start asking you questions, now you have an opportunity to respond. 
Instead of going like, how do I get into this conversation about Jesus? I'm not sure how to turn the corner. And you turn into sales language instead of what it is. It's witnessing language where we've lived in such a manner other people are asking us. Notice how Peter puts it. In your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord as holy. In other words, in the way that you live and the decision-making that you make because you decide in the Bible from your heart, the way that you will your life, you need to put Christ as primary and live your life according to that. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice, they're the one asking you. They ask you for a reason and do it with gentleness and respect. This is the flip. We're the witnesses. We get asked the questions. We respond and point to Christ. And we want that good that we're living out and the things that we do to point back to Him. Does that make sense? Simple hint. John did that, and suddenly they're showing up asking him questions. The second hint, though, is to know, is, to, is you and I should know our calling and stick to it. Calling's a big deal. People are like, ooh, what's my calling? What's my calling? Everybody's like searching for their calling, wondering about their calling. My son, Nate, the other day had a conversation with me about his calling. He walked up to me and said, Dad. I said, yes. He's like, I really don't know if I want to follow God. I'm like, really? That's scary when you're a pastor, okay? And you're looking at your kid, really? Why? He's like, because I think he's going to tell me to do something I really don't want to do. <laughs> oh, like what? Like what Teeny's doing. I go to another country. I just can't do that. I don't want to go anywhere. I'm just like, it's okay. That's not how God's callings work. Calm, you know. But it was so cute because he's already thinking about what does God want me to do because I don't want to do it. So they, uh... <laughs> John's not like that. John knows his calling. And God came to John and gave him this calling. Go wear a camel hair, get your hair, you know, totally out there and eat locusts and honey. And he's like, I'm good. You know, he's in on this. And I don't know why he chose that. But John the Baptist shows up in this thing and he understands who he is. The, the first that he is asked, are you the Christ? And he says, no. Notice this is going in descending order of authority. Christ, number one, if you're the Christ, whoo, you're the man, we'll listen to you. Nope. Okay, Elijah? You're going, Elijah? What's up with Elijah? Elijah was actually predicted here in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5, to come before the end of the days. And it says, Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so they always expected Elijah next. And he looked like Elijah. He acted like Elijah. And in fact, Elijah was one of those people who didn't die in the Bible. God just showed up and took him up into heaven. He was preparing to bring him back to finish off his job. And so the reality of that picture, they're like, are you, you're the guy, you're Elijah. And he's like, I'm not literally Elijah. Now, Jesus will say he's a type of Elijah. He's like Elijah. So you can accept it like that. But he wasn't, what John is saying is that I'm not the dude Elijah. I, I'm, I'm John the Baptist. I'm not Elijah. And so they're saying, nope, not him. So let's go to the next rung down. Are you the prophet? The prophet was promised in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 18, by Moses, so here he is, standing on the mountain. All the people are about to go, into, go out into a, and take over Israel, and he's not going to go with them. So he's giving away all of his information. And so he gives them this prediction. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, this verse has been used in a lot of fun ways. The Jewish people thought a guy would be coming, this certain prophet who would proclaim the end of days, and we all need to listen to him. The new covenant would come through him. Um, Muslims think this is Muhammad, and Mormons think this is Joseph Smith. The reality is that Christians have always identified the prophet as Jesus Christ. 
According to the book of Hebrews chapter 1, in all in various uh, ways God spoke to his people through prophets in the past, but he's now spoken through his son, is the final prophet, the final speaking from God. And so Jesus is this prophet. And so he's, John the Baptist says, nope, I'm not him. So who are you then, John? What is your calling? What are you all about? And he says this in verse 23, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, I'm the guy, I'm the voice, according to the book of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, I'm the guy shouting in the wilderness, yelling to everybody, get this road cleaned up so the king can ride on it. He's on his way. And that's really what it's saying. Because in the ancient days when a king would be approaching with his horse or in his chariot, they would get out there and make sure any of the potholes were filled, any of the strange um, parts would be leveled down so that everything would be nice and smooth so the king wouldn't be like, as he's riding into town. And the reality was that was done to show the care of the area and the care of the king. But this is less about roads and more about people. And so John the Baptist was told, get out there and tell them, get ready, prepare yourself. The king who is going to come judge us is coming. And he showed them that they needed to get ready by humbling themselves by being bathed in water. Big deal. Um, there is ritual bathing, washings that every Jewish person did as according to the law. The ritual washings were done at the temple by a couple of people called the Levites and the priests. Oh, actually the people who were asking John questions. So probably looking at John going, you encroached in our territory. What's going on here? Why, why are you doing these things? What right do you have? Are you the Christ? No. Oh, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Then who in the world are you? Because you can't wash people. The other thing that was offensive about it is they would only baptize, completely wash someone when they were a non-Jewish Gentile and move them into being Jewish. It was a rite of passage of humbling yourself under the law and becoming, quote, Jewish through baptism. Now, what's fascinating is John is basically looking at all the Jewish people and he's saying, none of you guys are truly Jewish then. You all need to get ready because your king is coming. Let's get right and actually start living in the manner before God. And that's the picture of his baptism. Pretty intense statement. This guy's a fire and brimstone preacher. And he was collecting huge crowds to listen to him. And so this curiosity came, and they asked him these questions, but he knew who he was. He had it down. And yet in all of their offendedness, because they were offended that he was baptizing people, they look at him in verse 25, they say, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor the Elijah nor the prophet? Now, this is where you and I would usually get into a Facebook fight, right? I mean, you, know, you start, you say something, and somebody else goes, well, who said you could say that? And why are you a judge? And da-da-da-da, hater, and all this stuff starts breaking loose. Because you, you took a stance or something like that. That can happen. But here's what the reality is. When you dive into this, John doesn't even engage the argument. He sticks with his calling. Why are you baptizing? Look, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you don't even know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. In other words, he just reworded what he just said. I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Hey, look, I baptize with water. I'm calling you guys to humble yourselves because the king is here amongst us already. Notice what he does. He doesn't engage the argument. He literally sticks to his calling. 
He just says, I've been called to tell you the king is coming. Get ready. Why do you baptize? Look, the king is coming. You need to get ready. He doesn't change his program. He doesn't change to answer the question. He focuses on the focus, the calling. Wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of focus? You're like, Greg, it would be awesome. I just need to know what my calling is, man. Tell me now. As individuals, we feel like there's this individualistic calling in America, like you are specifically to open a treasury for, you know, whatever. And you're like, yes, I'll write this down. It's from God. You know, that's the kind of how we feel. And I do believe in individual callings. Let, let me be honest. I think everybody here, God made you on purpose for a purpose. But you don't discover that purpose by having a light shine upon your head. And then suddenly you go, God? And he says, I have called you to wear camel's hair and eat locusts and honey. You're going, please Please let that be true. So the reality is that, no, we find our callings through the basic callings that are given to all Christians. Every Christian in this room, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you already have a calling. In fact, you have what's typically thought of as five different callings, things that we're called to do. Be in the Word of God, evangelize to our families, neighbors, friends in the world, making sure that we're in prayer, connected with each other in discipleship, serving each other with our giftedness. Those are the basic callings of every Christian. In those five, what you will discover often is your personal calling. Say, it would be so much easier if we could just have a scripture, though, you know, that predicted you, right? That's what John's saying here, doing. The Bible predicted me. I'm coming. I'm the voice of the one calling out in the wilderness. Right there. Isaiah 40, verse 1, that's me. That'd be awesome. You're like, why are you telling me about Jesus? I'm the one Jesus sent to this office place in order to, you know, that'd be great. He did. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You've been predicted. You've been called. If you're part of the church, there we are. Throughout the generations, this is who we're supposed to be. Well, who do you think you are? I'm part of the church that's been called by Jesus Christ to send the gospel to all the nations and make disciples out of them all, teaching them to obey everything, baptizing them. That's, that's my call. You want to know who I am? That's what I do. Well, what about this people group over here? You know what? My calling is to talk to people about Jesus Christ. Well, what about this political issue over here? You know what? My calling is to tell people about Jesus Christ. Well, what about this guy over here who sinned and did this thing? You know what? Your sin is what's causing you to be pulled down into hell. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. That's what I'm called to do. When you know what you're called to do, the distractions are just that. When you know what you're called to do, yes, we have to deal with these things. Don't get me wrong. But at the expense of telling people about Christ when they've asked us about Christ is important, which means that when they start throwing all those questions at you, you don't know how to answer, you can stay focused. Because I guarantee you, you get into this, people will start asking all kinds of crazy questions. Well, what do you think about that people group? Well, why is there evil in the world? And you're going to be like, I don't know how to answer these, and I don't know where to go. I'll give you your answer right now. Two, two different answers. You want to write it down when you don't know, have an answer to the question. Well, answer number one. When you don't know, you say, I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. Just follow it up with, let's go find out together. You know why you say, let's go find out together? Because it shows you how serious are they really about their question. If they're not serious to go find out the answer, they're not asking a question. 
They're copying the internet. We call it parroting. They're not curious, so why answer a question they're not really asking? The other way you can ask is this. Well, I don't really know. Why are you asking? And when you ask, why are you asking, you're really trying to get at their intent. Are they just trying to block you because they're just uncomfortable? Because when you witness, it's just two uncomfortable people having a conversation with each other. And they don't really want to talk about this. Though they're curious about your life. You brought up Jesus, and they're like, oh, Jesus. Uh, no. But I'm saying, yes, simply turn and ask the question, well, why are you asking? I'm curious. Oh, I, I mean, I know. I don't really care. I was just... Uh, uh, now, they have to respond to why, but that is, that is part of it. Guys, stick to the calling. Don't allow other things to distract. Don't get into the political fights and other things when we're called right now to tell people about Jesus Christ. Yes, in discipleship, as we teach people after they come to Christ, guess what? A lot of you guys have a lot of questions. We should be answering the questions as a church together in our small groups together here on Sunday mornings where we can answer those together. But when you're talking to people about Christ, keep it focused. Keep it on your calling. It'll help you as you tell people about Christ. And so John uses both these methods. He's like, yeah, 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 authority, whatever. Um, I'm here to do this, and this is what I do. And that's what we're saying in his second hint. The third hint, then, that we get continues on in the text. It says, talk about who Jesus is and what he's done. So once you've gotten to that place, they're asking you questions. You're not distracted. What do you say about Jesus? Well, John the Baptist takes off in verse 29. It's the next day. Apparently, the, this group of people are still there. And the crowds are milling around in front of him. And he's probably baptizing some people and probably opens up. And there's Jesus standing there. He's already met Jesus, baptized him probably maybe sometime earlier in this, in this passage. We know that from the context. But he sees Jesus and suddenly he breaks out. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what you tell everybody. Look, it's a lamb. You know, everybody will look at you crazy. So let's describe what he's talking about here. In the Old Testament, if you're new to your Bible, um, the second book is the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus tells the story of how Israel became a nation. And, when they, and you, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, that's where the story comes from. It's the Exodus story of Moses coming in and saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh going, no, no, no. Oh, let my people go. Anyway, sorry. The, um, and in this debate that's going on between Moses and Pharaoh is really a debate between God's request and Pharaoh's denial. And every time Moses would show up and say, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh would go, no. And God would say, okay, here's a plague. And then Pharaoh would go, stop. And he'd go, okay, I stopped. Moses come in, let my people go. No. Ow! And that's the whole cycle throughout the book of Exodus. Until finally the last plague. In the last plague, God comes with this promise that he will kill all the firstborn sons of Egypt. And we think that's so horrible, except for the reality that, is, that Egypt had already taken a whole generation of young boys away by throwing them to crocodiles and things in the river, killing the entire firstborn and secondborns of the Israelites. And so God's going like, you've touched my children, now I'm going to punish you with what you tried to punish others with. And so he brings this plague in. And he tells them this, if you do not let the people go, I will kill your firstborn sons. He says, yeah, right. Pharaoh doesn't listen. Moses then goes to the Israelites. He talks to them. He says, guys, here's what God has said. Tonight, he's going to visit the land and kill all the firstborn sons. What you need to do is go find and quickly find 
a, a lamb, cut its throat, get it, pour out the blood, eat it. You need to eat it. This isn't wasting animals. This is eating the animal. Take the blood and put it over the doorpost so that when God comes to kill the firstborn, he'll see that and he will pass his judgment over your house. Thus the term pass over. That's where the word comes from in the Jewish religion, Passover. And what John the Baptist is here saying, he says, look, it's the Passover lamb of God. Note his message has been, the king is coming and he's going to judge us. The king is coming and he's going to judge you for your evil. The king is coming. Get yourself right. Wash up. Do everything you can because your sin's about to get owned by God and he's going to destroy you because of the evil you've done in this world and you've perpetuated through other people and you've given to your children, you've inherited from your fathers. All that is going to be dealt with by God. Get ready. But guess what? Hey, it's the Lamb of God. The one who will take away the sin, not of Israel, but the world. Every human grouping. Guys, what he's saying is the judgment of God, yes, is still coming, but Jesus will take it so he will pass over you if you have his blood on your life. If you simply have received the gift that Jesus Christ has taken your sin away from you, you will not be punished. So what do you say about Jesus? You let people know God's judgment is, is indeed coming. Yeah, it's already here because of sin. But what he did is he gave his son Jesus so he would pass over us. And that's what John says. And so your sin is removed. And it's huge because oftentimes if people are asking you questions because they see your life, there's something going on. And so they need to hear. Because let's be honest, it's only the proud who know they have all the answers and don't think they've sinned. I have yet to have met a proud person who thinks they're a sinner. And I've yet to have met a genuinely curious person who is proud. And the reality is that somebody who is coming with questions, who's curious about your life, who wants to know why you do what you do, has already begun the humbling process. And they need to hear about how to be set free from the sin that's holding them down. That's already turned their marriage into mush that's already corrupting their children, that's already abused them when they were children, and now it's breaking forth in their life in a disgusting manner that they can't handle. That's when they will come and they will say, what do I do? And we need to let them know Jesus has been provided as our lamb so God's judgment would pass you over and he takes away our sins. And so we can tell them about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So and that's what John does. And so hint four moves on then to this. Well, how do I go from there? What do I do? What, it doesn't feel right to go from this question into that. What do I do? And the answer is simply this. Just tell them what you've seen God do in your life. Notice what John the Baptist does. He says, look, he said, hey, look, it's the Lamb of God the, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, keeps it focused on Jesus, not on himself, because he was before me. I myself didn't know him. Sure, I knew he was my, my, my distant cousin or whatever, but I didn't know he was the Messiah. Here's how I know, he goes on. I didn't know him. For this purpose, I came baptizing with water, and that might he be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend to remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
And I've seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Imagine John's predicament here. John grows up, and at some point in his life, God comes to him and says, Hey, by the way, you're the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Really? We don't know how he got called, but somehow he knew. And by the way, I want you to dress in camel hair. I want you to eat locusts and honey. I want you to yell and scream at people and throw them in water. Oh, okay. And because you do that, I will identify the Christ. And so John the Baptist steps out in faith, trusting what God has called him to. And one day, he, Jesus comes in the water. He's like, what's up, cousin? You should baptize me. Now you, you know, it's like this whole thing. It's like, baptizes him, comes up out of the water. This, this presence of the Spirit comes down on him like a dove. And he's like, this is it. This is the guy. I've been telling you, the Lord's coming. Here he is. Take a look. And so he's announced this. And people go, well, how, how was he able to say that? Because he was able to say what God had done in his life. What he had seen God do. It's called a testimony. Many of you guys have heard of a testimony. And there comes a point when somebody's asking you a question, that you're able to reveal your testimony. Hey, look, I, and some testimony sometimes sounds like a conversion story. Hey, I was addicted to drugs. I met Jesus Christ. And through this wrestling match and, a re, and, and time of knowing him, he, he set me free. Hey, I once, was, I once was an angry, mean bigot. And I met Jesus and he set me free and I've left racism behind. There are stories like that abundantly. But they don't all have to look like that. Some of you guys were born and raised in churches. And you're like, I don't have a testimony. It's not true. I didn't say, tell your testimony. I said, tell what you've seen God do. Let me give you an example. I can tell you what I've seen God do and how he brought me to Christ. But one of the simple things is, uh, so I've known people who come like, who've asked questions like, I don't know, does prayer really work? I don't even know if prayer works and it is really happening. And I go, dude, prayer absolutely works. Let me tell you what I've seen God do. My wife and I were, um, early on, we found out we were, we were going to be pregnant with, with another kiddo. We, we have four now. And we're thinking, our little red hatchback van with two doors ain't going to fit all these kids. And so we need a van. We'd, we were in the Dave Ramsey model. You know, we don't want to pay car payments. So we had saved up about $12,000. We're like, we're going to get a nice van. This is going to be awesome. We went out into the market and found out every van that's decent is $14,000 and up. And you were like, we don't have another $2,000. We don't want to go ask scrounge and do any more. We, we so for various reasons, we said, you know, 12 is what we got. Can't go any further. Well, there's nothing available except really old cars, and they get all messed up at that point. So we're, we're not sure what to do. We start praying, and we're praying, God, is there any way we can get a car, for a, a van for $12,000? And then, you know, kind of, you know, and with a little wink in our eye, we're like, and maybe it'd be a Honda Odyssey, you know, kind of thing. Or just, you know, just kind of like, get a little selfishness thrown into the prayer. God, thanks, you know. And, and we're sitting there, and we're trying to find no luck, no luck, no luck. Finally, we call our, my, we, my wife calls her brother and says, Do you, you know, can we, can we get Tyler's number? It was a friend, family friend of ours. We knew he was in the wholesale car business. We're like, let's find out what's there. Maybe he can give us some pointers where to go. And we're like, hey, we're, we're in the market for a van. We don't know what to do. We didn't say any details. We didn't say, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we just, we just bought, I just bought one the other day. Um, for $12,000, it's a Honda Odyssey. I'll sell it to you. I won't mark it up or anything. Exactly the price we were looking for. We get this thing, and it's got like leather seats and butt warmers, and we're like, woo! This thing is nice! You know, actually, we felt a little guilty about it. We're like, oh gosh, this thing's too nice. People are going to think we spent a lot of money on it. But 
It was completely God's answer to prayer. It's not that nice now, four kids trash things. But the reality is the, uh, that van was, is an answer to prayer. And it has constantly reminded me how much God answers prayer. It's what I've seen God do. It's the stories of my friends um, who are sitting with me this week and telling us about the fact they grew up in San Bernardino. Everything in their life. They watched gangbangers. All their friends are gangbangers. They stood in front of gangs. They got held up by gangs. They got guns pointed in their face. And for all intents and purposes, for where they lived and how their lives were, they should be in gangs. But there was one factor difference in their life from all their friends' life, and it was Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ brought them to know him and walked them through that world, they live today apart from all the disappointments that gang life can bring them and all the fear that it could have happened, and they're living lives working in churches. The reality is that you don't have to have an amazing story to talk about what God has done to provide for you in the middle of your suffering and your pain. Some of you have stories of how God has provided for you through your cancers. Others of you have stories about how he provided through a divorce. God has shown himself, even in the midst of our own struggles, how good he is. And how many of these stories do we not even share because we forgot God does things and we just weren't looking? I get it. Some of you guys are like, I've never seen God do anything. Well, that's probably because you're conditioned to think in coincidence rather than to look at providence. Where God has purpose and direction and he wants you to know that he is working. Maybe the best exercise you can do is go home and look at all the good things that have gone on in your life and step back and ask yourself, how did these things really come out? You'll be found out it's not about how good you are. Most of the time it's a coinc- it looks like a coincidental event. And yet you are at the right place at the right time because God wanted you at that right place at the right time. And where I think a secular person would say, eh, it's just happenstance, I want to tell you, no, it's God working in your life, trust me. And we're able to turn that, look at it, and you'll begin to realize it very quickly. It was God. That was God. And now when they come ask you a question, I don't know, what, why do you do all these things? Well, I'm a Christian. You know, I have a problem with prayer. I've been praying. I never heard anything from God, and I don't get any. Well, let me tell you about a time where I, th- where I found prayer works amazingly. Why do you think God doesn't answer my prayers like that? Can I tell you about this thing called sin? See, God doesn't answer the prayers of those who are in sin. There's a relationship, a block between you and him, and he wants you to deal with those things and He brought his son, Jesus Christ, so that he could take away sin. You see, he doesn't answer your prayers because he's going to bring his judgment on you. I hate telling you that, but that's the reality of it. But he offered his son, Jesus, to take the judgment so he could pass you over. It's just a gift he gives to everybody, and it opens that door up so that he hears you and he answers you. Not all of them. He'll say no. But he does act. He is intimate. Guys, that's how testimony works. That's how we be good witnesses. This is the start. There's more we'll talk on next week. But I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you to think about these opportunities you have. You see, St. Francis of Assisi was said to have said, you know, preach the gospel and sometimes use words. Can I just say go live the gospel so that you have to use words? Go live out your faith in such a manner that people are curious and ask you and you have an answer and you can tell people, this is what I've seen God do.
And maybe this morning you're here as a brother, a sister, a, a child, and you're just at church because you have to be. I don't want to welcome you. I'm glad you, you got through that. Hopefully this wasn't Charlie Brownish too much. Um, but I want to encourage you that the same truth applies to everyone in the room. God has loved you with a great love. There is a judgment coming and that indeed that judgment will fall on us because of our sin. But he doesn't want you to remain there. He wants you to be freed. And he went to every effort he could, even giving his own life to set you free from that sin. And to give you this gift, that if you receive Jesus Christ, he'll pass over you in the day of judgment, take away your sin and give you a new life to walk in that with him and access to God. And he offers that freely. It's not because of how good you are. It's not because of how bad you are. It's free gift given to everybody no matter where we stand. I want to encourage you as we sing and as we talk, uh, as we pray this last part, that you would ask God to reveal himself to you. And perhaps today you would receive that. So let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for the church here at Olive Branch and I ask that you would indeed enable us to be a people who are ready and willing to witness about the light. And God, thank you that you've given us some practical hints, some practical tools. Help us to live in a manner that we are asked the right questions. Help us to be ready with answers to those questions and to care about the people that we're, asked, we're answering them to. God, help us to have ready what you've done and, and, be able to, and be able to give that over. God, in all these pieces, we just want to be available servants. So use us as you see fit. And God, speak to us now if there are some people that you are calling us to connect with. Bring them in our lives and allow them to begin to ask us questions. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.